we're going to start a series on the Holy Spirit. It's a limited series. It'll run five, six uh, um, Sundays. We'll have a couple of breaks in there with some guest speakers. But it's important for us to, first of all, do a really quick flyover to understand what we're talking about here. And to do that, I have to start with the story because that's how God introduces the Holy Spirit to us, is with the story. The story begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, shortly after that momentous sentence, we're shocked. We're pulled up short by the next one, which talks about it was chaos. There was chaos upon the waters. There was chaos all over what had been created. It was darkness and void. And then we meet someone for the first time. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And if you don't get chills there, you don't know how to hear stories. Because that's a very, we've had two shocking developments. We're not even counting here God creating the heavens and the earth, which is pretty shocking in and of itself. But the second bet, that it was in chaos, the third bet, something, someone, some force has now moved over what God has made. The word for spirit is not an easy one for us because it means other things as well. It means wind. It means breath. It's a mysterious word for a very mysterious personage being. And just as the wind goes where it wants without asking us and without us being able to understand it fully, the spirit goes where he wants, when he wants, and he does what he does. Just as our breath is life, and you may be surprised with this, but we still don't have a firm applies everywhere definition for life. What is life? It's, the spirit is well beyond our definitions as well, and every time we try to define him, our definitions fail. And all we see of him in this opening of the greatest story is he's hovering over the water, and then light, and then order, design, a safe place for God's garden, a safe place for the two people within the boundaries of God's creation. Not all things God created are safe, even at this stage, especially at this stage. An area, a place, has to be carved out, created protected. We race ahead here, always, in our VBSs, and our sermons. We race ahead to tell the story of the creation. And day one, day two, day three, and then we start the arguing about what does it mean when he says day, and what is, is this? We race ahead, and we forget the very key opening is that there is a spirit involved. Now, there's, there's no other religion that has the Holy Spirit. There's no other religion that has anything like the Holy Spirit. Most religions have a God figure somewhere, and many of those religions have a son of God. Most of them have many sons of God that are constantly in conflict with themselves and with their father. But no other religion in the universe has a being known as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or as we used to call him in the King James Version, I say we because King James was a Scotsman. Um, the way we, and, and, and a horrible person, by the way, horrid. Don't read anything about him. 
um, in that version, it was called the Holy Ghost. And we hear the word ghost in, in American English at the time, uh, you know, and we think, oh, you know, a spooky thing. Back then, that's not what it meant. It meant guest. The Holy Guest has arrived. He is the presence of God with us. In the Old Testament, which is where we're, we're flying over today, although a lot of our scriptures are New Testament, he has mentioned 88 times. I've heard people say before, you know, the Holy Spirit is really a New Testament phenomena. And I say, that's fascinating. I always like to hear things from people that have never read their Bible. The, the, it, it, it is shocking, people. It really is. Some of the people that defend the Bible most haven't read it. I always say, go back and look at these bits. These are really important bits. 88 times he's mentioned in the Old Testament. The word used for him in the Old Testament is most often a female term. The verb senses that are used with him are female. Then why do we say him? Well, there are a couple of reasons. The rules of language throughout history, in most languages, almost all of them, uh, they are sexist, if you want to call it that. If every person in here was female and there was one man in the room, if I referred to you as a group, I would have to use male terms. That's the way it is in Spanish, in French, and not in English because we have that neuter uh, tense, that little, that little thing there called it that has neither male or female, but most languages don't. And so we don't know that he's female or male, Therefore, the rules of language put a he. Also, in the Greek, sometimes, often, he is called he, but not all the time. There is a verb tense that is used. There's a name for him. He is a mystery, completely unfathomable, or as Francis Chan calls him, the forgotten God. And our, our ladies, I believe, that's Fridays at 4th, is it not? You're studying um, Francis Chan's book. Excellent. It's, and it's a very, very good book. I'm sure Francis feels so relieved that I think so. Uh, <coughs> never met the guy. Let, let, let me try to give some context here. But be warned, as I've, and I've done this before, any box that you put, try to put God in, he will not stay in the box. So just be careful with that. But God the Father seems to most of the time be connected to the grand plan, the grand design of things. Now, he is not alone in that at all, but that is most often, that is a role given to him. Jesus is most often, the role is to fulfill the plan, work it, put it into action. But the Holy Spirit is there to give it power, to make it work. The fuel in the tank, and even that's such a terribly weak analogy. It is, he is the one who drives the motion but he also does something else in Scripture. He is always out ahead, preparing whatever needs to be prepared, changed, broken, healed, assembled, light, whatever it is, to bring order to the chaos so that the Word of God, can, who is Jesus Christ, can move inside. Genesis 1 verse 2, he is involved in creation. The order that we see in the universe, if you don't know what you're looking at here, these are various aspects of nature. You see the nautilus, you see a sunflower there, uh, you, you see um, one of the galaxies. All of them have, however, a mathematical construct, 
called the Fibonacci sequence. It is in all things. If you don't know about this, it's all right. You've had a great life. You may continue. Those of you that are interested in this, and, and you might want to be, because it is a design feature. Now, I don't know anything about art, and my wife does, and I've learned when I go to look at art to say only certain things and stop. You know, uh, perhaps mention light and, and perspective and move. Just move on and leave everything else to myself. I, I don't say anything like, you know, the color and the lines very well on this, very nice. You know, I, I, I have learned. Well, I can, however, tell what um, if a painting's done by Van Gogh, uh, or as he's called in Breton, Van Gogh, and we're completely wrong, by the way. We, I don't know why they do that. Um, the, uh, or, or Renoir, I, I got him. I know that one I can get. There are a few like this. There's a design, and we can say the Holy Spirit was involved because he likes that mathematical ratio. He likes the Fibonacci sequence, and it is in all things, like laminin. It is in all things if you get down deep enough. I want to stress this, however. This does not make him understandable to us. This does not make him predictable. I've heard sermons from all my life that, where the people say, God is not the author of chaos, and by then, their definition of chaos is anything I don't like. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit's going to go where he wants to go. We're yoked to him. He is not yoked to us. If you want to be where God is, move. Because God is moving. God does not sit still. He never has. He never will. Genesis 6, verse 3 the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. This is in the lead up to the flood. He's saying, they are not eternal. They don't get to make policy for the universe. I know an awful, a great number of people, and it would include myself more often than I am um, proud to mention or, or admit, who will love to serve God, but mainly in an advisory capacity. We, we like in our prayers to say, God, this is your to-do list for the day. Make this the important things and make sure I'm comfortable at the end of the day. Now, my prayers very often go that direction. And I have to catch myself. The Holy Spirit says, you know, you're, you're going to die. You don't get to set the policy, the movement, the direction. Get on board or don't. And here God says, I've had enough with this group. I've had enough. Now think how terrifying that is. In the Old Testament, as far as I'm concerned, the absolute worst curse you got was when God said, I will withdraw my hand. You want to be on your own? Be on your own. You do not want to be on your own. The Holy Spirit was trying to bring people back to morality, bring them back to reason. But they refused him, they resisted him, and what happened next? The world went into chaos and darkness. That is the cycle of humans. It's not always a universal flood, obviously, but it can be a flood of violence, a flood of disease, a flood of brokenness. If you resist him, he pulls back and the order breaks down. In Exodus 35, in verse 30, 
and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs. There are, um, and obviously the, uh, whoever owns that Bible is adding to the Word of God, um, but uh, I, I think that that's actually in, a, in an acceptable form. So, so we'll move on. Um, I, I'll never forget a young man named John. I have no idea whatever happened to him. I was in elementary school, and he came to our church a few times. That's where I saw him do something. He would pull out, uh, we would all be given our books. You had to fill out the books and give the answer the next week. Do you remember that? Every Sunday and every Wednesday was a pop quiz about Jesus. Uh, and, and you're, ooh, got to get the answers in. Well, he would write on the blank parts and all just random lines. And all of a sudden, it was a beautiful three-masted schooner, uh, a ship, or it was a vista. And I looked at him and I said, how do you do this? Because this is step by step. And you're drawing out of order, it seems to me. You know, that's not how you build a ship, but evidently it's how you draw one. And he would look at me and say, well, you just, you think about it and you draw it. That never worked for me at all. With anything. God makes some of us artists. To be honest, God is an artist. Take, take a look at what he made. You know, he, he made a variety, everything, and, and, and the colors, and the variety, and the, the flower. He didn't make a flower. Look how many he made. He didn't make a cloud, uh, just a big white square box goes over every so often. No, everything he made, he made infinite varieties of that within them have the capability to make even new varieties, which is astounding. It really is. Do you see the beauty in the world? It came from him. Do you hear beautiful music? It comes from the Spirit of God, who has given someone a talent. Do you see art that moves you or, or colors that lift you up? The Spirit gives voice to a part of us that would otherwise remain silent. For even in our prayers, he interprets for us. Now that's amazing. If you have a three-year-old and they come in, and they say, my tummy hurts. Look in their throat. Because their pain centers have not differentiated yet. They have not become as complex as they will later. And sore throats to them feel the same as a stomach ache. And so you have, to, you have to know this and understand what to look for. Think of it that way. We're coming to God saying, my stomach hurts. And the Holy Spirit is saying, here's what they need. Here's what they're really asking for, but they don't have the words. And that's beautiful and fantastic, but it also helps with those who suffer. Those of us, and I've gone through uh, depression time, many times in my life. Many of you have depression is the common cold of humanity. Everybody gets it sometime, and when most people, it's self-limiting. Other times, it is not, and medication or help has to be brought in. Same with anxiety or any form of worry or concern. Think of Beethoven. Not a, not a really guy you'd want to hang out with. But when you look at his life, you can see why. Brutalized by his father, continually beaten by his animal of a father to the point where he, he loses his hearing. And yet he writes music with the vibrations he can still feel. He took his pain 
he took his depression, and because of this, we have the Moonlight Sonata. And this world needed the Moonlight Sonata. It was desperately needed. African-American men that were shunted to the worst parts of our planet, society, treated horrifically, would take wire, fence wire, and, and nails and make, put it on a board and then get the top of a broken Coke bottle and we get the blues. We get a beauty, a music that speaks to the heart that we need. What are you doing with the pain? The Holy Spirit's willing to turn it to beauty. The Holy Spirit's willing to do something with it if you give it to his hand. As I, was, as I said before, life is complicated. Life is hard to define. We know that God said Jesus created all things and then went farther and said, and in him all things hold together. There are translations that say in him all things consist I believe you can make an argument for that phrasing. I do believe all things hold together is a better one because we don't know why they hold together. And again, we're not making fun of science whenever we say that they can't find 95% of the universe, the dark matter and the dark energy. Why do they think it's out there? It's because of the effect it has on the things we can see. And I would make the same argument for the Holy Spirit. You cannot see him, measure him, you cannot draw him, you cannot define him, but you can see his effects on those things that we can see, draw, measure, and define. The presence of the Spirit brings life while his absence spins us down toward death. Psalm 104. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. By the way, if you ever wonder if God has a sense of humor, go to an aquarium. It's amazing. It is absolutely. Sometimes I'll say, all right, God, when you made that one, that was just for fun. There's no reason that critter should be here. They, and critter, see, southern word, I'm adapting. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there, that's some sort of sea beastie, very, very large one. All creatures look to you to... That sentence. All creatures. Remember in Job? In Job it says when the little birds cry out for food, they're talking to God to provide. To give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. It is the spirit that brings life. Remember in the scripture, God made Adam and Eve and then he breathed into them and they became living souls. Not until the breath of God. Not until then. Until then we are nothing without the breath of God. When people needed extra wisdom, who doesn't? To guide them through very difficult times, the Spirit came to them, the judges, the priests of the Old Testament. Numbers 24 tells us, I'm sorry, uh, yes, 24, 
and Laurie Lee helped me sharpen this one out. I had the wrong one earlier. The prophecy of one who hears the words of the Lord, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are opened. That version, that, that concept, this is how it comes. You've got to do it from the word of the Lord. And how did it fall? Well, it gave Moses his advisors. Moses says, I don't know how to do this. So God picked a bunch of guys and said, use these. And then there were women that were providing the worship and writing worship. We know this from the Psalms, but also from Exodus. He gives us the words we need when we need them. But it is, of course, up to us to use them. It is up to us to decide what to do with it. And, this, and thereby lies a very, very important lesson about the Holy Spirit. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, in our language, those look the same. But it is not the same at all. The gift of the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit is with you. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of are all over the place. And like, people like to think of the miraculous ones because they're very spectacular. And, and, and if you have them, you would feel quite special. Most of them are much more mundane. The art, the beauty, the word, the movement. The gifts are a little different. You can look at Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, for example, to have a sample sets of those gifts, but by no means complete sets. So you have the gift of the Spirit. He is with you. You might think, well, what good does that do? Well, Paul told baptized people who had already received the Spirit to pray daily to be filled with him. In other words, the present only works if you open it and get it out of the box. And every day, open it and be open to it. Let him fill you each day. Talk to him. Skipping forward, and again, the Old Testament, we're moving fast today to the, the Christmas story. We find that Jesus was placed in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. But he did not create a miraculous egg. All miracle. No, half. He put the male part in to join with the female of the human. So that Jesus was always human. And Jesus was always God. And anybody that goes, well, I don't know and understand how that works. Cool. We don't understand most stuff about the universe. Welcome. I've had people look at me and say, well, you say that there's one God, but then you say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are gods. That's three. And I say, yep. And I'll say, isn't that a contradiction? I'll say, nope. Well, they say, well, it's one or three. What is it? Well, if you look at physics, and I know I bring that up quite a bit, and you're so excited. All right, you're thinking, the first, the Fibonacci sequence, now physics, could this day get better? <laughs> no. No. No, you have reached the apogee, right here. Apogee is opposite the peregrine. It got better. You learned another term. Anyway, the, um, if you take a look at how God forms us, and Right here, regular physics works really great. But if you go way small or way big, all the rules break down. And there is no difference between one and three at all. You, unless you um, want to go look, look it up, you're just going to take this. It's kind of like in physics. Well, for example, in quantum physics, you can know where you are or how fast you're going, but you can't know both. 
If you know one, you will not know the other. And that's why physicists have fantastic jokes, like uh, two protons going through. One goes, we're making good time. Gus, he goes, how fast are we going? And he tells him, he goes, great, now we're lost. The point being, you can't know both things. God's a mystery, but we're surrounded by mystery. Don't let that shock and surprise and cause doubt. Why would you do that? But guess what? He's in the womb now, Jesus is. But before Jesus begins his ministry, what happens first? The Holy Spirit moves. Goes out to his cousin, John the Baptist. Gets John the Baptist preaching, teaching, moving, getting the mission and passion to prepare the way for Jesus. I, I like doing what I do. I like working with you. This is my happy place here. This afternoon, I'll fly to Colorado, where I'll spend two days keynoting the Colorado Sheriff's Association Mental Body Armor Seminar. And then I'll be back for a week, and then I'll go spend my annual week with the U.S. Navy on Whitby Island. That's what, it, what I do. Come back, I'll be back for a few weeks, and then I'm off to speak to the forensic department for the Texas State, uh, State Police. Of course, I'll be down near the border. It could be ice. It could all be a trap. Uh, I, whatever it is, it's, it's all right. I like doing what I'm doing. But here's the point. I consider my mission in life to do two things. One, to speak of Jesus and put Jesus back where he's supposed to be. Where we look at all things through Jesus, not through the other authors of, authors of Scripture, as wonderful and inspired as they are, but interpret them through Jesus Jesus is God. And the second thing I want to do is make it easier for the next generation to keep doing that. And so, I can remember a few years ago when there were some struggles in some churches. We're seeing some not nice things about us. One man whose military wrote me, he said, you know, the first one over the wall gets shot. I wrote him back, thanks for the encouragement. But we already know that. <laughs> but it's all right. Our days are mortal. He is forever. And he is the breath of life. One of the greatest mysteries, by the way, uh, of history is what did Jesus know and when did he know it? Somewhere in the process, he begins to learn who he is, that all human, all God, but he is the son of God. You know, a three-year-old cannot know that. That would be, just be horrifically dangerous to have a toddler understand they are God. Don't do that. But somewhere down the line, and, and we have no idea, and anybody who claims they do is making it up. The Holy Spirit cannot be figured that out, can, cannot be figured out that way. The Holy Spirit gave him the words he needed, moved him around when he needed to move, so much so that Jesus, when the devil came at him, and remember the Holy Spirit led him to the desert to be tempted. That's the phraseology. He was baptized. God endorsed him. Next line, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. As the devil keeps coming at him, what is Jesus' response? He doesn't say, right, listen, you're allowed to... I am and he, he might have. He might have. He didn't have your accent either. L right, you're allowed to, I'm God. I'm just going to stomp you now. No, all he said were the words of God quoting Scripture. He would not step away from what the Holy Spirit had given the prophets. So he just spoke scripture. 
did not editorialize. I find that fascinating on so many levels. And then Jesus later says it was by the Spirit of God he was able to do miracles, not of himself, but of the Spirit. Luke 11, 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You might not have noticed that that tale had a hook in it. It's not just, okay, God, ask God for the Holy Spirit and you get the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you can ask God for a lot of stuff, but he's going to give you the best gift, not necessarily what you're asking for. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. So no, he may not give you the car you want. He may not give you the body you want, but he will give you what you need, and that gift is far greater than anything you realized you wanted. The Holy Spirit is mentioned everywhere in the, Old, in the New Testament. I mentioned 88 times in the uh, Old Testament and New Testament. He's mentioned in every book except three, Philemon and 2nd and 3rd John, uh, all the others. We'll get to those. But as we close out, um, and we're not team yet, close out, so I faked them out there. I'll get you in a bit. Take a look at this, some important things to know about the Spirit. Every attribute that the Father and the Son has he has. He is personal. He is a sentient being. He thinks. He feels. He can be grieved. Don't give the Holy Spirit a bad day. He can inhabit your personal life. He can be resisted. He strives with us and wants to convict our hearts. And if you don't want him to give up on you, because that will lays chaos and death. Now, if Mark, if you'd bring your team back up. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as I read an admonition from Romans chapter 8. This is my prayer over the church as I hit the airport today and as I come back on Tuesday night. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives 
in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.